0: This morning, I invite you to join me in your copy of the Holy Scriptures, Ephesians chapter number 6, please. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse number 10, tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You say, but, Pastor, that's the problem. I feel powerless in my Christian life to stand against the devil, verse number 11. To be able to withstand in this evil day, verse number 13, you say, pastor, I am overwhelmed, I am afraid, I am weak, I keep falling and failing. This morning I have good news for you. Good news that positionally as a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you have sufficient power in the risen Christ to live in victory. That is why the Apostle Paul prayed in Philippians 3, verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Consider Paul's prayer for the believers earlier in this very letter. Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 21. Know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The resurrection power there and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all of the the spiritual warfare, principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not just positionally in Christ, resurrection power, but then also practically there is action for us to take so that we might be able to stand against the devil, Ephesians 6, verse number 11, and to be able to withstand in these evil days. Namely, we put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, verse 11. In Ephesians 6, Paul employs a military metaphor that details the weaponry that we must take off and put on for the spiritual battle that we all must face. And so after an introductory message from Ephesians 6 verses 10-13 through last week, I want to dedicate a, a topical message to each of the pieces of the armor of God now in these following verses. We will conclude our summer uh, with some biblical examples or some case studies of spiritual warfare as found in the scripture. But this morning, from Ephesians 6, verse number 14, the belt of truth. Let me pause for prayer and then we'll look at the scripture together. God in heaven, we thank you for our position in Christ and the resurrection power that we have because he has risen. I thank you, Lord practically for the the weapons of warfare that you have provided. I pray that as we consider the first, the, the belt of truth, that you will help us to take up and put on this weapon so that we might be able to stand against the devil in this evil day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I explained that when Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 verse number 10, you have it before you, finally my brethren, Paul did not write as a conclusion to this letter but rather as a climax to this letter because the Greek term in verse number 10 translated finally is found only one other time in all of the New Testament. It's in Galatians 6 verse 17 and there it's translated from now on. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul is saying, from now on, my brethren, after all that I've written to you about your position in Christ, and after all that I've written to you about your practice as a Christian, from now on, Ephesians six verse ten, you ought to stand. Three times now in verses 10 through 13, the Greek verb histemi, or stand, is found. You see it again at the beginning of verse number 14. For a fourth time, the same verb is used as a command, stand, stand therefore. And the goal of our spiritual warfare in the Christian life is to stand. However, We can't stand in our own strength, and that's what we feel. We feel the weakness. We feel the impetus, the frustration of trying to wage spiritual warfare in our own strength. And so Paul says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. But that's the $64,000 question for us this morning. How do we do that? What does that look like? It seems I'm always tripping and falling when I face the wicked one. Tell me what to do. Okay, look at verse number 14, Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand therefore, in this way, having girded your waist with truth. Following that verbal imperative, stand therefore, there are four participles in verses 14, 15, and 16. Those participles tell us the means by which we stand. There in verse 14, having girded, Keep looking, having put on, keep looking, having shod your feet your, your your feet, and then also taking the shield of faith. You see these in verses fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. The first at the beginning of verse fourteen, having girded your waist with truth, we stand by strapping on or fastening on the belt of truth, now a little bit more deep weeds in the language and in the syntax, this is in the middle voice. And what that means for us is that we do this ourselves for ourselves. My Pastor Matt paraphrase of verse number 14 would be this. Stand strong in the Lord by, here it is, by tying yourself together with the belt of truth. You yourself are doing this for yourself, to yourself, Stand strong in the Lord by tying yourself together with the belt of truth. In the modern vernacular, we might say, pull yourself together. We might say, keep it together, man. Put on the belt of truth. And I would give you this in your outline. The, The picture is presented, this description of this belt of truth. The picture presented is a description. Now, in ancient times, men wore long and loose clothing, robes, if you will, that made it cumbersome to run a race or to fight a war. And so consequently, when they needed to work freely or move quickly, they would gather the robes together and they would tie up f- them, the, that fabric uh, firmly within their belt or their sash. That is, a man would gather up his clothing around his waist so that he could prepare for the vi- vigorous activity that was before him. The picture presented The description that we find here is of of one hiking up one's skirt to run. For example when Israel was preparing the first Passover meal before fleeing from Egypt God instructed them to eat that meal with their loins girded about them. You see it here in Exodus chapter 12 and thus you shall eat it, the Passover meal with a belt on your waist or the King James version your loins girded your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. God was preparing the children of Israel for their escape from Egypt. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter uses this very same picture, this description when referencing um, our, our current Christian life. He says, gird up the, the loins of your mind Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is preparing New Testament believers here for the return of the Lord. That is the image or the picture that is presented to us. It's described. In order to stand against the wicked one, we put on the belt of truth and bind ourselves together with it. You say, okay, pastor, we get the description. The girdle, the belt, the sash, the sash. But what is the truth, the belt of truth? And that would be number two in your notes, the truth told a definition. The truth told a a definition. What is truth? That is the very first question that was ever recorded in the history of mankind. If you think back to the book of Genesis, It was the question that Satan asked Eve. Has God indeed said? What was Satan asking? He's asking, is it really true? What is the truth? Of course, that's the the infamous question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus in his confrontation with Jesus in, in John 18. What is truth? And for all of human history now, man has sought to find a definition of truth. In your small groups this week, in your home Bible fellowships, perhaps you can workshop this a bit and and try to define, identify and define what is truth. We could answer the question philosophically. One of the great subjects of philosophy, maybe the greatest subject of philosophy, over the ages has been the definition of the truth and so philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle made the case for truth in in these terms. They said that truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is something that is consistent with the actual state of affairs. Later then Thomas Aquinas restated their theory by saying a judgment is said to be true when it conforms to the external reality. And so we might put it this way philosophically truth is that if if it agrees with reality, it's truth. But of course, most of us here this morning aren't so philosophically minded. We're, we're, we're just normal people, right? And, and so what about for us normal people? How do we define, identify and define truth? We might do so as it relates to our personal experience and we answer the question pragmatically. In this case, we determine truth When it's verified or when it's confirmed by our personal experience in the world. If it happened to me, if it worked for me, then it must be true. I would would give you this. If it works for me, it is truth. Philosophically, if it agrees with reality, whatever reality is, right? The philosophers are still working on that one. But then pragmatically, if it works for me... It's truth. But truth cannot be determined philosophically or pragmatically because truth then would always be subject to our own experience, our own interpretation, which is always changing. Objective truth must first and foremost be a theological category. Theologically we look for a definition of Truth Truth is that which is sourced in God. Truth is the self-disclosure, the revelation of God himself. I would offer you this, truth is whatever God is and whatever God says. Who God is and what God says is truth. There in the back of your notes I've copied what Augustine wrote, the most influential theologian of the first millennium. He wrote this in his book on Christian doctrine. He said, let every good and true Christian understand that whatever truth, wherever truth may be found, it belongs to the master. We use the maxim today, all truth is God's truth. Then John Calvin, who was the most influential theologian of the second millennium, he wrote this, all truth is from God and consequently, if wicked men have, any, have, have said anything that is true and just, we ought not to reject it for it has come from God. So follow this. If we would assert that truth is sourced in God, it's, it's not some philosophical category, it's not some pragmatic experience, but truth is sourced in God, who God is, what God has said, then consequently, truth is absolute. Why is truth absolute? Because God is absolute. There is no relative or subjective properties to truth because God is absolute. It doesn't matter when you live or where you live. It doesn't matter what you think or how you feel. It doesn't matter if it unites or divides. Truth is objectively fixed, anchored to the person and the character of God. Not only is truth absolute, secondly, truth is immutable. Immutable. If truth is sourced in God, and God doesn't change, truth doesn't change. What was true yesterday will be true tomorrow. Right is always right, wrong is always wrong, meaning that relativism is incompatible with truth, you see. Truth is absolute, truth is immutable. How about this? This is a hard one, folks. Truth is authoritative, Because truth is sourced in God, truth doesn't offer suggestions, it doesn't present options. Truth is the final word when every other voice is done talking. And truth demands our attention and it commands our adherence, our obedience. God is truth. God speaks truth. But on the other hand, Satan is a liar, and Satan speaks lies. In John 8, Jesus told his Jewish audience, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Where are we to stand? In truth. Because there is no truth in him. Well, maybe there's a little bit, right? No. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Beginning in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, Satan repeatedly and incessantly has denied the truth and lied to mankind. Folks, that was his MO back at the beginning and that is his MO today. What lies does Satan tell you? repeatedly. Perhaps Satan lies to you today about God. Satan lies about God saying God doesn't hear you when you pray. God doesn't care about you in your crisis. God can't do anything to help you. God isn't really good, at least not all the time, or he wouldn't have let that happen to you. Satan lies to us not only about God, Satan lies to us about the Word of God. And Satan says, His Word has errors. His Word can't be trusted. His Word is old fashioned. Satan lies to us about us, telling us that we're not that bad, we're basically good. Or he lies to us, saying, You are worthless. There's no reason to live. Satan lies to us about us, that, that we deserve to be happy, that personal indulgence will make us happy. He lies to us, telling us that our sins are okay as long as no one else gets hurt, you see. Satan lies to us about eternity. He whispers doubts into our, our minds and our hearts. What if heaven and hell are not real? What if it's all just a hoax? Where is the promise of Jesus coming? It's been a long time. And folks, it is for that, this reason that we must put on the belt of truth to stand against the wicked one because he will lie over and over and over again. The contemporary modern term is gaslighting. Satan is the ultimate gaslighter who will lie to you and cause you to question. You're not even sure if you know what you know, if you believe what you believe. Has God indeed said? And so Jesus, as was read early in our service when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus spoke truth back to the wicked one. It is written, in God's word. And for that same reason, Philippians 4.8 calls us to think on truth. Whatever things are true, think on these things. A primary weapon in our warfare against a lying Satan is the truth. How do we stand when you feel so weak, so powerless, overwhelmed, beaten down, How do you stand against the wiles, the the fiery darts of the wicked one? You speak truth. Bible commentator James Montgomery Boyce have copied this in the back of your notes as well. He's written this. He says, it's significant that Paul puts truth first. This suggests that successful spiritual warfare begins with fixing Christianity's great doctrines firmly in our minds. Or to put it another way, It is dangerous to rush into battle without having the great doctrines of the faith fixed firmly in our understanding. Do you know what Boyce is saying here? He's saying we must have a biblical worldview if we're ever to stand when confronted by the falsehood of the enemy in our world today. Now, at this point in my message, I've written these words in my notes. I've written need illustration. And uh, effectively illustrating a, a point is often the hardest part for a preacher. It, it, it takes a, an artful skill to be able to, to identify an example that's relatable, that captures the imagination, and that aids the understanding. And so I wrote here, need illustration. Here's the problem this morning. I don't have an illustration for you. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is I want you to muse on these things and I want you to be prepared for when you gather together Wednesday evening in your home Bible fellowships, be prepared to illustrate this matter in your small group, perhaps a personal example from your own life. Think about the lies that you've been told, the lies that you've heard, the lies that Satan has whispered into your consciousness and the truth that you have stood on. Think about all the lies that are peddled in our culture today. Gender confusion, woke agendas, critical race theory, the religion of climate change. These are big lies that are being imposed upon us all the time and in the words of Adolf Hitler, if you tell a big enough lie until it frequently enough, people will eventually come to believe it. On the other hand, never mind the macro issues in, in, in our country, in our culture, around the world today. How about the micro personal issues in your own life? The lies that whisper that Satan whispers in your mind and heart. And when Satan lies to you and says you're worthless, nobody loves you. What do you know to be true? How can you stand on the truth? God loves you. God redeemed you. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. When Satan lies to you and says you're all alone, your situation is hopeless, God can't help you. What do you know to be true? God is with me. He's omnipresent. God knows my situation. He's omniscient. God is able. He's omnipotent. See, this is some practical theology, When Satan lies to you and says, the things of this earth will satisfy you, try them, pursue them. What do you know to be true? Do not lay up for yourself. Things on this earth, treasures on this earth, we know what happens to them, but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we could spend the the rest of the day, I suppose, citing the deceptions of Satan that defeat, defeat us because because we're tempted to believe his lies when we need to bind ourselves up with the belt of truth. So we need an illustration. You provide the illustration this week and identify lies of Satan that you can answer with God's truth as revealed in the Bible. And let's tighten the belt a bit this week, all right? And let's stand on the truth, which leads me then. the important implications, a difference. What difference will this make in your personal spiritual warfare against the lies of Satan? Gathering up the loose ends of our clothing, preparing to stand against the wicked one with truth, it, it, it makes all the difference in the world. Gathering ourselves together, binding ourselves together with truth at our core, makes all the difference in the world. In fact, Paul has already spoken of this matter in this very same letter to the to the Ephesians. And the most important implications um, we could identify in two primary ways. And, And the first is our salvation our salvation. The good news of the gospel is the truth that saves us in the first place. Turn the page back, maybe two pages back, to Ephesians chapter 1. In this letter, as Paul begins, Ephesians 1, look at verse number 13. In him, that's in Christ Jesus, you also trusted. Ephesians 1 verse 13, in him you also trusted. After you heard, what? The word of truth. The gospel of your salvation and whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, your salvation is secure, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The good news is that the gospel saves us. We are saved by believing the truth of the gospel. And if you are here this morning and you have not called on the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of your sin, you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, I implore you to receive the gospel message as it is the truth, the word of God in truth. For those, perhaps the majority of us here this morning who have been born again spiritually, there are many times along the way when we experience seasons of doubt or uncertainty, maybe a lack or a loss of assurance of our salvation. What is that? That is the assault of the wicked one whispering lies into your head. How do you combat that? Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word is truth and as you saturate yourself in the truth, you will have an answer to those doubts. You see, the assurance of your salvation is a feeling. Our feelings are like a roller coaster, right? But the security of your salvation is a fact. That is the truth on which you can stand. What are some of the the, the facts or the truths, the security of our salvation? Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What's another fact of the security of our salvation? John 10, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, Jesus said. That is the fact, the truth of your salvation. That's an important implication. The truth makes a difference, not just in our salvation, but also in our sanctification, letter B. It's our means of sanctification. And and one last place to point you to, Ephesians 4, chapter 4. Turn the page again. I won't read it all, but I, I, I want you to notice in Ephesians 4, verse 14, thinking of our sanctification, the difference that the truth makes, verse 14 that we should no longer be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine that's the the assault of the truth look at verse 17 this i say therefore testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened. This is is where the warfare is happening in the mind, in the understanding regarding truth, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Jump to verse 20. You have not so learned Christ. That is not the truth that you've been taught. That's not the doctrine that the apostles have, have presented. If indeed you have heard and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, you see it there. Verse 21 Put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt, and be re- renewed in the spirit of your mind. Fill your mind with truth. And folks, here Paul is writing about sanctification, and he keeps referencing the truth, which is why Jesus prayed to his father in John 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Folks, as we prepare for battle against the wicked one, as we leave this place and we go into a, a wicked world when lies are being given to us at every turn, what do we do? Gather yourself together, man. Keep it together, man, with the belt of truth. Don't stand in your own strength, your own logic, your own reason, your own personality. Stand in the strength of the Lord with the belt of truth to answer the assaults of the wicked one. Let's pray. God in heaven, we plead in Jesus' name that you will equip us, empower us, give us the strength to stand. Lord, the lies of this world, the lies in our own heads and hearts deceive us. Lord, we need to take up the weapon of truth to keep it together. I pray, Lord, for the men and the women, the families that are before me this morning in this auditorium who are listening by way of the radio or the internet or recording. Lord, that you will help them, help us to stand in the truth, for I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.